broadcasting from a dark basement office. The FBI's most unwanted presents the X-Files podcast. We're getting to a point with LSU Media where I just love the intro music. I just want it to keep going. Dude, they're all so good. It'd be so funny to just let it play for for like seven minutes and then just end the episode. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I've never heard it before, but the last episode when I was listening to it on the outro, that track gets to a point where it goes like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does some yeah. like dead can dance kind of shit. It does. Totally. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I have never noticed that. Fucking Lisa Gerard belting it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Back to back to back. Back to back to back. Somebody's spoiled and their name is you, listener. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> We're special. We're benevolent overlords. <laughs> <laughs> how kind of us to talk and placate our egos. Mm-hmm. How how mm. kind of us to get onto a mic and and just love the f- just fucking self-filate every week about you, how clever we are. That cunt motherfucker who said that shit to you on the uh <laughs> that was so funny. I was like, of course, I like to have some of us. I have a podcast, you fucking douche. Yeah, on the on, if you're listening on the the Facebook X Files page, you know, Dean posted, you know, the uh, the old. It's rules. in the other groups. <laughs> it's yeah. in every group. It's in every LSG group. Just community guidelines, like rules about posting, and it's all very common sense. And then, uh, yeah, some guy, a, a recent joiner, said something about like, boy, you just love the sign of your own voice don't you yeah but he says something snobby ass there it was snobby i'm like really that's the first time i've been called a snob jesus you love the sound of your own fucking voice don't you snobby (laughs) ass i love it hey paul author sterling sick last name let's be get fucked spelled wrong no e (sighs) styrling damn oh well well what are you gonna do maybe you know maybe he's having his own covid experience not sure yeah but um yeah, I mean, it's not, I'm not, I can't refute him. You know, I, I have podcasts. What do you want me to tell you? Yes, you got me. Yeah. You got me, pal. Although, although he said it to a text, you know, a text response, which isn't really. It's true. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to point out the obvious. He was trying to be a prick. You know what it's it was? It's funny. What's he was hearing you say it. That's the, that's a hilarious spot. <laughs> what is really funny about it is the fact that he just took the time to write, in other words, he took the time to like love his own voice as he went after me for apparently loving mine. Mm-hmm. Just showcasing his own love for his own. It's really funny. That's like classic internet troll shit, right? They are yeah. what they hate, basically. Yeah. Self-loathing. He's, he, he hates himself, not me so much. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get him on. <laughs> we're going to get him on a couch. We're going to get him the, on a mic. Guess yeah. the week. Yep. And we're going to yeah. work through some stuff, and he's going to be eaten out of our hands by the end of it. What are we talking about this week, though? Dude, listener questions, man. We Ooh. got such incredible, incredible questions from Sir Thom that they became, uh, uh, obviously, he was playing to his audience, so to speak. Uh, you, the role people of, don't the, love the sound of their own voices. Speaking of that, the role of God. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Thom the verbose. Talk about uh, your personal politics for an hour. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. The, the role of government, uh, talking about the show being ahead of the curve and inclusive and uh, memorable monsters, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, all of that shit. And um, it, it filled up about an hour. And by the look of what we have remaining, uh, I think we got another hour show here, too. And I'm looking forward to it. So, um, yep. And not just any listeners, of course, the winners of yeah. the March Madness bracket contest that uh, organized by. BP 9000. Sure. 
and Carmelita. Absolutely. So uh, we got this this week. We are fielding some topics from uh, Mike Angelari. Indeed, he needs a name. He does. Um, it's going to have to be something degrading his heritage. Hundred percent. Um, Ooh, got he's it. white, so we can Mikey Marinara. Mikey Marinara. I'm Mikey into it. Marinara. It flows well. Good one. Yeah. Um, All right. And our, <laughs> and, and our other um, star of the day, of course, already has earned one. White None death. other. White death. So yeah, man. <laughs> I, I should get a soundboard and just do like a. What do they use? A moisen? A moisen nagant? Just the cracking yes. sound of one every time we mention her name. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. Uh, so we're going to start with Mikey Marinara. Yes. Going to White Death. And then we got a, we got a bonus question we might get to. Mm-hmm. So. I think we will. I think so. I, it's funny, man. I, sometimes I don't always, like I looked at some of this stuff and I was like, boy, I don't know if I have all of the qualifications for some of this stuff. Well, um, I have to assume by the the third question, and maybe even the last question, the bonus well, question. I was just going to say, I assume by the <clears throat> by the um <laughs> the look of what your podcast studio looked like about thirty minutes ago. Oh, it was bad. That you have extensive notes on each of these questions <laughs> in my head. I swear. Yeah. Um, should uh, you want you want to take the first question? Or you want me to? Why don't you kick things off? Okay. So this is from Mikey Marinara. Um, first question, he leads with a heavy one. This is probably the the heaviest, kind of most comprehensive question, I think, of what we have to feel today. So yes, he said, I think the most important thing about the X-Files is its impact. I was recently told by my fiance, who I'm currently introducing the series to, that it's good, but if I was older when it first aired, I wouldn't view it so fondly. Naturally, I thought her insane as plenty of people, adults, watch the show regularly on TV and still love it to this day. So I want to hear from, uh, want to hear you talk about the show and perhaps what made it so lovable. To me, it was a perfect storm of timing, creativity, and a population whose distrust of government and conspiracy theories were unpopular. What made it fun is that the X-Files took all of these things, legend, myth, folktale, ghost, aliens, unexplained phenomena, and any other whack job mystical shit and legitimized them all by having them actually take place in our world and putting forward the notion of an actual investigative unit that looked into these things. Nothing was Mm. off limits. But all that aside, without these two actors and a team of amazing writers, the show would have remained only a cult classic instead of hitting such a wide audience. I think the fact that they never took themselves so seriously that they couldn't stop off our dry one-liner from the company definitely contributed to this. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on what makes the show so important to television and our culture, why it means so much to you and us, aside from nostalgia, and why we've stuck by it even though radical changes, even through radical changes in 27 years. How a show about aliens could directly influence the way mm. television dramas like CSI and Bones got made for years to come. Sounds like he answered the question he proposed. He did. So next question. <laughs> next question. No, I'm, <laughs> just te- I'm just teasing you there, Mr. Marinara. Hey. Rogue, hey, by the way, Rogue 2 Media in the chat. Isn't that our boy, Elton McManus? Yeah. What's up, Elton? How you doing, my friend? Yeah. Good to see you. Elton I say... I want him to know that I use I, I use the phrase utter bobbins all the time and I <laughs> and I and it's because of him. So of the old Shonky Lab podcast. Yes. So um dude, uh yeah. Wow. Okay. Um so <laughs> one of my questions for Mike would be, how did the conversation end up going with your wife? Or fiance, excuse me. Well right? they're no longer engaged, so Oh, is that the truth? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking rad. Uh, that's pretty much the most rock star thing I've ever heard. Next. <laughs> so um, 
I wonder, you know, her saying that to him, I wonder how she qualified that statement. Like what made her say that? Or was she just saying it because, you know, like women sometimes like to do, they like to just shit on something you like for no reason other than just to kind of peck you down a notch. Well, the question too is, you know. I'm kidding, ladies, relax. (laughs) I think, you know, if you, if you're starting in season one, because there is this to say, X-Files came about in a time when you don't have, I mean, the the riches that we dwell on in terms of quality television mm-hmm. is just a night and day departure from where we were in 1993. Not sure. like nothing good was on TV, but we're living in a world where, I mean, you, you could be- It's the golden age, man. You could be in quarantine from the coronavirus and have nothing to do but watch TV for, for fucking three straight months- and still, oh, is that what they're saying watch. now? <laughs> is that you the new could still <laughs> not see every good fucking TV show that's on out there. You, you know, like if you came in fresh, you just had to like catch up. There's so much shit out there that you know. You're spoiled for choice, right? Yeah. So this is back in a time where you didn't have that, and sure. you know, we're talking network TV. And you made a great point that last last time we talked that should X-Files be considered among the best network TV shows of all time? I think the answer is yes. Um, But you talk about budget and the things they have to work with and just timelines. Like, even with all the great shit going on, a lot of them take two years to put out fucking 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. Or at the minimum, a year to put out 8, 10, 12 episodes. We are back in the day of 1993 where you're cranking out 24 episodes every single year. Back to back to back. It's crazy. It's bonkers, yeah. It's crazy. So I do think the someone like Marinara's fiance there, the future Mrs. Marinara. He says he's single now, but I don't know if he's joking. Uh, is smiley face. I hope so. Okay. I'll, I'll Laughing. Dumped refer- oh yeah. Dumped direct files. Definitely a joke. Um, <clears throat> Unless but, he's a true believer. I don't know. You know, if you come into it and you don't have any context on it and you start with season one, you know, and you get hung up like on an episode like space or ghost in the machine that, look a little goofy they are very dated the look is very 90s you know sure. and it, it, it let you're looking at your phone the same time and you're doing some other things like you know the quality of of the show the the quality of the production value it can't compete with something like game of thrones or walking dead or i mean honestly or almost everything we have now they just sure. didn't have the team the budgets everything like that so there is something you have to kind of get over of it's it just not going to look and feel like the caliber of TV that we have to look at. Right. I mean, do you think that's a big part of why you might stumble looking yeah, at this? Abs- I, I think, I think so for sure. I think one of the things that helps X files is the fact that it relies on a lot of, um, I think what helps it is it relies on a lot of trickery, a lot of shadow play and things of this nature. It, 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 it works best when it's showing you less except, for the occasion when they really want to shock you. But yeah, you know, I th- I've thought a lot about this. Yeah, I've, I've thought a little bit about the evolution of TV and where it's gone and where it is and how we're kind of in the midst of that. You know what I mean? Like, as far as framing a house goes, we figured that a while ago. It hasn't changed a lot. And I think to myself, like, are people just more versed in TV creation now than they were in the 90s? Just the whole showrunner aspect of it. Because it has changed. There is so much of it. It, it did become... You know, you could probably blame The Sopranos and HBO going, what the fuck? This is a television show? Like, yeah, this right. is a show. This is a T. This isn't a movie. This is incredible. And in that beginning, a thing, you know, I remember when Sopranos came out, 
and it's and it to me it almost spawned the new generation of what people were really going to love, and that was post X Files and shit. Just about Sopranos so, was HBO, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. But again, shorter, shorter stuff, but a much different. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think the medium has changed, and that people have studied the mediums of the, has have studied the evolution of the medium throughout time, which hasn't been a long time. If you think about TV shows, you know, 50s and shit. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> You're in a creative medium that's only been around for 40 years. It's not like poetry. It's fucking hundreds of years old. It's not like story writing. That's hundreds of authors. They've been around hundreds of years at this point. So it's interesting to think like it's going to change and grow over time and, and it did. But, you know, for me, I, I guess if the question is, is what is it that, what is it that makes somebody maybe view it less fondly? I think really, I think it really would just come down to, you know, the fashion, the tech, the, the fact that it's nineties, you know, we, we don't, we haven't quite gotten to a spot where we're, where we are romanticizing the nineties as much. I think it's coming. Yeah. Um, we're working on the eighties right now. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. It would, and, and I remember, dude, when I was in high school, it was the seventies and I fucking hated the seventies. Now I love the seventies. <laughs> so like, it's really interesting that I went through that because I wanted to break away from my parents' shit. Their shit was the seventies, right? And now we're seeing, you know, somebody nineteen twenty. Their parent shit was the nineties shit. And you know, but and, and I think there'll come a time where you know people look at the seventies and the style and the goofiness and like that's fucking awesome. And I think they look at the nineties and they say that's fucking goofy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It's it, it's weird. Like you you watch something like um, Tarantino's latest picture there, and you're like, this fucking looks so awesome. Like the 70s aesthetic was so badass, and I fucking hated it as a kid. I couldn't want. I didn't want anything to do with it. So I don't know if there's something there, like the way the generations of TV watchers line up with whatever is being embraced culturally at the time. I don't know if that's a thing. But for my own, in, in, I, it's hard for me to take myself out of it because I did come to the X-Files late. I didn't watch it originally. I, it was like three, three, four years out when I started really getting into it because like I was obsessed with like role-playing and shit like that. And I was like, I'm not going to watch TV. And it was VHS and what am I going to record shit? You know, I remember yeah. when you and I watched it on VHS at your parents' house. That was crazy. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. You know, like, uh, am I making sense on that a little bit? You are, you are. <clears throat> and to hit on the 90s thing, um, Actually, just what you were saying reminded me, I was on uh, a long time ago, two, three years back, I was a guest on another podcast, Feeling Film, I think, doing Independence Day. And um, there's something about the 90s in American culture, which is pretty unique, which is there was this weird innocence and optimism in the 90s. And I think it really came out of like our, our place in the world of you know, the cold, you know, the wall falling, Cold War ends, fucking, you know, the West reigns supreme, America, you know, we are it in the world and like, for sure, we're going to do our thing and economy's good and everything was kind of good and there's, there's a lot of that there and then shit, like the X-Files was kind of like creeping around the side of that. Like, it's a good know, point. You watch something like Independence Day and it's Jesus Christ, man, like rah, rah, America and like, of course, yeah. we will overcome and like, we're kind of all in this together. Overcome as, what? As long as you're behind us, as long yeah. as you're falling in trace of America. Um, That's funny. But in uh, X-Files is kind of like playing on this different thing. And I think there was a lot of people hungry for that. Sure. And, um, you know, to so. And, and you know what? What a perfect breeding ground for people to rail against the government. 
right? Yeah. There was no external threat that would cause people to rally, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. But keep yeah. going. I'm sorry. Well, I wanted to come back to this, the one line, you know, read uh, his question here, but the line towards the end. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on what makes the show so important to television in our culture. <clears throat> I think it's the impact. And honestly, I think what the X-Files did better than any show up to that point, and I'm definitely not a TV expert, but I am a lover of the X-Files, mm-hmm. is that it combined consistency and versatility unlike any other show up to that point. You know, you have shows that could do a lot of different things. You know, we talked about Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. You could have all sorts of different kind of things. Star but, Trek was crushing in the 90s too. Yes. Yep. Um, but Star Trek was crushing, but like you didn't necessarily have like complete, th- there are a few You wouldn't episodes. call it versatile. Right, right. You, you had consistency. Versatile. But sure. most shows were either consistent or versatile. And X-Files to me was the first show that, you know, the consistency is in the characters and the quality and the writing. Mulder and Scully are always Mulder and Scully. How they approach the case, how they look at things, their dynamic, the the quality of the acting, and you know, in almost all cases, the quality of acting of guest stars and things like that. But then the versatility of a show to go from horror to thriller to comedy to you know, kind of absurd absurdist, you know reflection to i mean there are so many different types of episodes that the x-files can tackle sure and that's what makes it special you have a you have a an episode kind of format you're comfortable with you have the pre-credit sequence it's going to set up what's going on that week you know kind of your 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 little lead in you know you're gonna get Mulder and scully you're gonna get a handful of other um repeating characters perhaps and you're going to be tackling some kind of phenomenon. That's the consistency there. You know but, what else is the consistency? What's the that? fibrous nature of their chemistry and the characters themselves, right? Fibrous. Well, don't blow your load because that kind of leads into the next question. Sure. But you know, it's funny because you could, if a sh- sometimes if a show, the ver- versatility and consistency, it's, it's interesting. You, I think, I think Twilight Zone is probably the other one I can think of that is super versatile. And it still maintains its theme and is also consistently well executed. Um, but again, that this comes back to the characters. But like, what makes the show important to television and our culture? I, I, it's interesting hearing that coming from an X Files fan, uh, Mr. Marinara. And I would like to believe that it's important to television and culture. I just don't know if it is because I, 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 I didn't really take the time to test the veracity of that claim. What makes this show so important to television culture? I don't know that it is. I think it's probably important in television history. And and we've talked about this last week about how it was really a blueprint for the modern day, um, what am I trying to say? Procedural. Um, It took the 80s buddy cop thing and and did it a little bit differently. And um, and I guess, you know, I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm sure if you were to start doing a little bit of Googling, you would probably find article upon article that says as much. And I instinctively say that sounds correct to me. I just don't know if it's, I, I can't make a claim that it is so important to television. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it sound, that sounds right to me. Like that, my, in my gut says that's the right thing. I just don't really know. You know, I, I couldn't tell you. Sure. But I mean, <clears throat> I think there's, I think there's enough validity to the statement to, to, to consider it. And I, I think we're kind of hit, hitting on what those things are. Um, and, you know, to do it over, 
the course of nine seasons. Sure. And in, in, in general, like there's peaks and valleys and especially like the last couple of seasons were very different. That was more because of the lack of consistency because the change of characters, which mm-hmm. we're actually going to get to in, in a later question. Um, but man, there's not a lot of clunkers for sure. That consistency comes through so strong. And I think that a lot of that is owed to, uh, to, to, uh, to Coveney and Anderson's performance and, no, and in general, no, the quality no question. of writing and direction that they had. But and this will go back to uh, something Sir Thom brought up is I think a part of the importance of it, maybe not to TV, but to us as viewers, why it resounds so strongly is what it allowed the viewer to relate to because it was it was mainstream. I mean, at one point, I, For I sure. don't have the numbers, but it, you're I right. Think though. It, yeah. At one point, it was probably the most or one of the most popular TV shows out there in terms of ratings. And yet there's something like Sir Thom talked about how the show really allowed people that were a little different. We're mm-hmm. outsiders, we're nerds, we're geeks, we're, you know, others to find things to relate to, to connect to these characters, to connect to things like that. Um, so if you can combine like a mainstream appeal and yet also be able to bring in people that don't necessarily float right down the middle, like that's, that's a tough thing to tackle. I, I totally agree. Casting a wide net's huge. I think, you know, it's a show that did that very successfully, Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. People that would be like, me fucking nerd, like totally pulled in, totally pulled in. And um, and that's it, you know, casting the weird, the, casting a wide net in, in, in getting, you know, people from many different backgrounds to discuss it at the water cooler. It's pretty <laughs> impressive, you know? Yeah. But um, why it means so much to you and us, aside from nostalgia, and why we are we've stuck by it even though even through radical change in twenty seven years. So a couple things is I know that when I originally watched it, I didn't have I don't know six hundred hours of podcasting underneath my belt or something like that, maybe more. I know that for certain, which means that I didn't really consider the show very critically, especially when I was younger. I didn't consider much critically at all. I just really went on feeling. Like, that's how I existed. I wasn't, you know, you, you your, ba- your brain barely works anyway. So I was just going off of, I like the way this show makes me feel. It's so cool. It's this. So I don't know if, I wouldn't call that nostalgia. I would call that in the moment, I remember feeling that way about it. Now, can it hold up to the scrutiny? That's where you start to inject a little bit of head into the heart, right? Because aside from nostalgia, why we've stuck by it even through radical changes to years years. Um, it, again, hard to say because of n- nostalgia is so powerful because you want to re-feel the feelings you felt at a time in your life where things were most likely better or at least you made, they made you feel better. And there's, you know, there's something about that. That's, there's an entire business model is based on nostalgia. All these shows we watch, a lot of these shows have a nostalgia factor like Stranger Things. But like why we've stuck by it through radical changes in 27 years, I think goes back to some of a lot of what Josh was saying. And that's the fact that it is consistent and it does have versatility. Can um, I rephrase this question in a, in a very individualized way for you? By all means. Why are we doing a podcast about the X-Files when you, a man with limited time, limited energy, who you like to talk about things you'd like, but you also have a little bit head for, you know, business and things like that. And there are, a million shows you could cover. Why Why is it that we're sitting down and talking about the X-Files? Truth be told, a lot of it has to do with you in my discussions with you about the show in our past. And then I think a lot of it has to do with the fact, you know, 
that mostly has to do with the fact that when we sat down to record this, to try it, it was so fun. I was like, we should do this. Like this, it'll, imagine going back and watching this old show. How fun would this be? You know, I remember a time where you and I watched it on a shitty television at your parents' house on VHS. Wouldn't it be cool to go back and talk about this? And I was really leading with my heart at that point. I wasn't thinking about it. The, the business part didn't even come into it, to be, to be frank. That was in the execution of how we're going to do it. Um, so yeah, that, that was more of it, I guess you would say than, than anything. Yeah, I get that for, you I mean, know? for sure. I mean, this is a, we've always kind of joked, especially me that, you know, the X-Files podcast is kind of like the ugly stepchild of, of LSG media. <laughs> it's, it's not even that though. I don't, it's not, it's, I, I hope people don't think that there's nothing ugly about it. I think it's great. It's awesome. Yeah, so, absolutely. But it I mean? is. There is something special and unique about it. There's, I, I think nostalgia is tied to it. You know, I, I won't discount that. I think that is a part of it. But, but there's well, nostalgia. You would argue, based on what I just told you, is what launched the show. Sure, but also there's nostalgia that when you go back to revisit it, you go, yeah, oh boy, sure, like that's just nostalgia. Yeah, watch the Gremlins. I, I, watch, <laughs> go, ahead. go listen to the Gremlins app. You know, like go listen to Willow. Star Wars is the nostalgia with Star Wars for sure, for mm-hmm. sure with the original movies, but it holds up because you can go back and rewatch it again and it's fucking great. And I think, you know, I think that's where X-Files is, is yes, there's nostalgia. Some of it comes to this fresh with nothing, no precursor, no ex- exposure to it. They're not going to have the same experience that you or I have that most of us listening to this podcast have, but Dude, we have listeners who are going back and watching the show from from start that had never seen it before. Sure, and they're they're. I mean, there's multiple that are following along with us that are digging it. Um, so that won't fucking happen if this show didn't have something special to it. Absolutely, and and you know, as we talk, and my mind starts firing off more and more, and we open the show saying, "I hope we can fill an hour with these questions," when we're going to fill uh, an hour with one question. Um, <laughs> the other ones are shorter. <laughs> I know, just teasing. But um, the you know what it is about X Files, dude. Two things. Um, I'll I'll talk about the I'll talk about the like, like just the solid bullet point for me. The period at the end of the sentence for me lasts. Before that, I'm going to talk about the '90sness of it because it is a thing. And I think that there was a lot of people in the '90s, younger people especially, really fascinated with like the macabre and in like ghosts and all that fucking shit, like. Call it goth, but more, but more, but less narrow. More people interested in things like alien abduction. More people interested in things, monsters lurking in the night and the creepy government. And there was no other show. This is part of the answer. And this is part of my final answer. And there is, and there was, excuse me, no other show like X-Files at the time. That could be like, oh, this is scary. And this is so fun. It's so mysterious and different. It was very different than anything on TV at the time. And guess what? Here's why it's endured for 27 years, in my opinion. Because we recognize the quality then, we recognize the quality now, and in 27 years, there's still no show like The X-Files. Think about that. There's nothing like the show, still. Um, You can try, and guess what? Here's a great example. They tried. They tried. (laughs) And they they couldn't do it. Correct. Think about that for a minute. They tried in season 10 and 11, yes. There's a couple of brilliant episodes in there, but by and large, it's like, who boy. And you can feel the trying. Mm-hmm. And that's what, there's, it, this is effortless. Now, now, you know what I mean by effortless. Michael Jordan makes shit look effortless, but God knows he fucking worked his balls off to make it look that way. 
you know, and, and there's something to be said about this show in capturing a fucking generation of people who were Doc Martens in plaid skirts, <laughs> right? A whole generation that was into this shit. And now they've gotten older and they're like, well, there's nothing like that in nostalgia. And I think it's all part of it. That's why you can't, it's trying to separate consciousness from the brain. You know, I think they're just so interconnected. It's hard to, to separate any, it, they're all part of the same thing to me, you know? Well, shit, man, I'm not going to follow that up. I think that's, that's a perfect grab. I just regurgitated a lot of things you said, and now I am essentially stealing some of your thoughts. So it's fine. <laughs> like, this we, is, let me tell I'm going to teach you about pro podcasting soon. Josh. <laughs> Consist- <laughs> consistency and versatility. There we go. <laughs> you, consistently hit all the good points. And <laughs> Mike answered it for us. I don't know if you noticed that. True. True. He's like, and if you guys stray from my answer, it'll be blood. There <laughs> will be blood. <clears throat> Why don't you lead us into number two here? A more humorous question, perhaps, for all the shippers and non-shippers out there. Do you guys view Mulder and Scully's relationship as realistic? Like, would anyone in Scully's position stick by this guy who constantly leaves her in terrible situations and having to clean up his messes stick around after the first week? Furthermore, do you think it's right for the show that they fell in love? Hmm, interesting to use the word right. To me, I am okay with it because it always struck me as a loyal friendship. They loved each other before they ever thought about getting it on in any official capacity. Great question. And I'll, I'll add to that. Um, the, the thought of, uh, BP kind of added to this in, in discussion of does, does the potential romantic aspect of this relationship add or detract from the show, um, as it, as it goes on, which is, you know, kind of bundled in with, with everything Mike said. Yeah, sure. So I think that's, I mean, it's a great question because that is, it comes down to a lot, right? This is, I'm part of me goes like this guy, girl, young, single, he would have fucked it. <laughs> They'd be fucked. Right? But it took a long time. It's different back in the day, man. Different back in the day. Mm. You know? Yeah. Virginity was like, um, it's so funny. We, we viewed it as like this sacred trove. And now people are just like anxious to dump it. You know? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it was And she's kind of a, you know, she's got the, she's got the crucifix. You know, she's kind of a conservative lady, as it were. I think so. She's and, not and, walking around like that bitch in CSI who's like, Looks like every kid that watched X-Files growing up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen CSI, so I can't. You know, yeah, but you've seen the poster yeah, child, the sure. pigtails and the fishnets. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. are you guys trying to get me to watch this? Because <laughs> it's working. No, just kidding. I don't watch it. I think the the real thing is that, and, and, it's, and that's, it's funny, it's a joke, but it's also through the character. And then a lot of it is their professionalism that held them back, is that they were partners. But, you know, to answer the question, I think... Is it realistic? I mean, overall, hmm. I think that the relationships that I see or have been a part of that don't work or do work in the long run, aside from other factors, I think I think humans need to find something in their partner that they lack. I think that's really important for 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 relationships to work. And romantically for sure for me it's usually a puss (laughs) just a big just a wet spot to stick it in Uh, and nice nice uh everything else no i hear what you're saying i'm just being a fucking prick (laughs) so i think like yeah and this this applies to like really good friendships too i mean if you meet somebody and you you have a ton in common you you feel the same way about a lot of things you're going to be friends but are you going to like, 
are you going to be like partners? Are you going to, is that going to be your best friend? I don't fucking think so. I mean, from what my experience, you know, my best friend growing up for most of my life, uh, our friend Levin, man, there are so many things in him that I don't have or, or don't have as strongly as he does and for vice sure. versa. And I think the same way in romantic relationships that, you know, so wait a minute. are you telling me you want to fuck Levin? <laughs> Which I is mean, fair. I mean, he's a good looking guy. Dude, he's a great looking guy. And he, <laughs> can you imagine how he would hold you afterwards? Yeah, for sure. He's so sensitive. My hair's got a decent dick on him, too. <laughs> he's got so, You know what I mean? Yeah. You're fucking bad in a thousand. All right. Work. Uh, I get I, it, man. I'll, I mean, I'll, we'll say, I'll, I'll let him, I'll shoot him a message and be like, hey, Josh was asking about you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just open up, see what goes on. Oh, uh, fuck. But I, I, that's the part that's realistic to me is that there's a lot of shit. We constantly joke about how like fucking the, how Mulder like leaves <laughs> Scully in the lurch so many fucking times and sure the silly shit. And I think there's, there is definitely elements that I think they are catering to the audience a bit, especially once the whole shipper thing became a big part of it. Um, not all of it, but there are elements I think, which sometimes I'm like, eh, it's a little much. You're really trying to placate those shippers. Um, shout out to BP, the head of the shippers union and the shipper three. Sure. Um, Do but I think it's, yeah. that's the realistic part is that, I mean, they have this, there's things they respect about each other that they, they lack. Um, that even though at some points they might butt heads, they, you can't help, but, but connect with somebody who, who has a strength that you lack. I th- does that make sense? Absolutely. So, <clears throat> Uh, I'm going to take it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to repackage it and sell it at a lower price. <laughs> <laughs> Just teasing you. Discount in. <laughs> Fucking bastard. So, um, do you guys view Mulder and Scully's relationship as realistic? Uh, I know that I am, um, especially when it comes time to speaking on the record that I can sometimes be a pedantic cunt. Okay. I fully admit that sometimes I'll look at something and go, what, what do you guys view? What, like what the whole thing? I know I get hung up on, I know that I get a bit lawyerly when it comes to words, right? Plus so you like the sound of your own voice. That's true. I love the sound of my own voice. So I'm going to regale you for seven minutes, whether you like it or not. So <laughs> buckle the fuck up. <laughs> anyway, no, um, I think a ton of it to your point is so super realistic. I think their measure of respect for one another is realistic. I think their obvious affection for each other is very realistic do I think that there are times where I think given the right circumstances over however many seasons it is that there would have been moments of an impassioned embrace? I definitely do. Do I think that that's writer, writer fuckery? I don't, I wouldn't call it fuckery. I would just say it's a television show and unrequited love is a very powerful motivating factor for making an interesting pairing between man and woman, man and man and woman or whatever the fuck. Um, and I think unrequited love is, is, is huge. It's, I mean, it's, it's a thing, right? Any, any like dramatic vampire picture is unrequited love. It's funny. We're going after the same fucking people that watch X-Files. It's this idea that they, that so your, everyone's heart, everyone in your heart probably goes, I really wish they would just get over it and be together. And then there's a part of you in your head where you're like, is that going to fuck up the show? A little bit, you know what I mean. In the in, believe me, the writers are very aware of this. I'm sure. I'm sure. Duchovny and um, Anderson were like we're very aware of 
probably how we are viewed in this. And I'm sure they played around with that to make it, to keep that tension there. Because I think that that tension is important. Um, I think it's important to their dynamic. I think it gets really fucking sloppy and weird from a writing standpoint if they do get together, which so many people get together that they work with. So many people do. It's, it's common as fuck. And, and maybe the unrealistic part of that is that this didn't devolve into something and get weird and messy. And then, you know, and then the show's what over. Cause they're both professionals and they're going to, you know what I mean? Like I, I think it's really a stretch to say over nine seasons. And again, I've only, I, my memory is not great. So I don't know how their intimacy even begins. Um, but I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's, it's, it works in the framework of the show. You know what I mean? I don't watch and go, this is fucking ridiculous. He'd be fucking plowing her. Right? She'd be wearing her fucking heels as earrings. You know, like, I'm, it's not. <laughs> I'm going to use that as my opening line. Okay. <laughs> like your fucking earrings. Want to wear them on my heels. <laughs> Wait, is it the other way around? She's listening to her fucking knees. I'm trying, you know? to, I'm trying to diagram. Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> what is that yoga position called? Oh, uh, fuck. But uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the writing of what makes the show charming is that. And it also, I think, serves people well to know that, you know, we, we've talked about, uh, you know, it, it's nice to know that it didn't have to, you know, on the one hand, you're like, God, I wish they would. Wouldn't that be hot? But then on the other hand, you're like, but then the show becomes very different post that. Yeah. I think the restraint. Was that the, seven minutes? The build. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 630. Keep going. Um, <laughs> the buildup in the, the tension is often the best part of it. Just like real life. Of course. Yeah. You Anticipation know? is better or worse. Yeah. Not always, you know? but a lot of times yeah, it's the best part. Um, but with these guys, when they, when you do get the payoff, I, I will tip my cap to the shippers and say it's earned. They earned it. You know, mm-hmm. when, when, when they are truly together in these comeback episodes, um, seasons rather, you're like, you know what? You fucking earned it. You went right. through all this. And a lot of it is, you know, so talk about realistic. We've talked about why, why it is, why it isn't. And the other thing is how much they both give up, you know, how much they both lose through this, this is true. pursuit. Um, no one. <laughs> You know, pe- people, you know, the military is always referenced as as a thing where, like, if you didn't go through it together or, or, you know, guys that went through that kind of thing, you'll never have that kind of bond with anybody else. Sure. There's truth to that, but it's not limited to the military. Like, people that go Share through, trauma, right? Shared trauma breeds loyalty. Yeah. Shared suffering breeds loyalty. That's a saying we always used to have. But that doesn't just apply. Dude, do you think people that are fucking, you know, working in ERs and things like that, going through this whole thing together, do you think, do you think they're going to have a thing that anybody else can relate to? Totally, Shout out to, to uh, many of our, our listeners, especially uh, Miss yeah. Kata. In my own experience, dude, I was just playing Call of Duty last night with my nephew. Dude. And man, we were fucking under fire. And you know what? We grew closer in that moment. <laughs> it's hot. I said, dude, you got his chest plates, you little prick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I told you I'm in a fucking weird one. <laughs> Got it. <him. laughs> but um, yeah, dude. Yeah, Real- yeah. So yes, <laughs> next time, short answer. Yes, it's realistic. Yes, it's it's it it is. It makes sense to me. Um, it makes sense in the context of the story. You know. Yep. 
for sure. So here's one that's going to be a little short, I think. Um, sure it will. <laughs> number three, wrap up from Mikey Marinara. A short and sweet topic <laughs> for Josh, as I don't believe Dean has seen uh, seasons eight and nine, at least not entirely. Real uh, inclusive, Mike. <laughs> you fucking dirty marinara slinging fucking pirate. You swarthy people. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I love the. I pick- love the wops, dude. Relax, it's fine. Good people. Good, Good people. Strong. Salt of the earth. You know? Good relationship. And if you need to fucking get rid of a body in Jersey, just make a call. Mm. It's all about so, family. It's all about that's family. Right. That's right. <laughs> I'd love to pick your brain about Doggett. What are your thoughts on him? How he affected the series? I know you briefly mentioned you liked him, but he's one of my favorite characters and he's almost, almost up there with Mulder and Scully for me. When I first heard about the company leaving, I thought for a brief second that Robert Patrick was literally replacing him as Mulder. But thankfully, the writers aren't that stupid. Uh, I watched the season openers and was quickly won over by the time the second episode came to a close. Wow. So have you seen any of season eight and nine? Yeah, probably here and there. And the sad, the problem is, so I'm a bad, I'm, this definitely is the correct move to direct it towards you. Because I was like, this fucking guy. Mm. Look at this fucking guy. <laughs> what the fuck's he doing? Huh? Don't yeah, you look. Don't even look. At, hey, don't even look at Scully. Okay, fucking look listen at to me. You know what? I'll fucking call up Arnold, and we'll come and we'll fucking burn you up in a goddamn <laughs> smelting factory. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to say a lot about it because honestly, I don't have. Dude, I watched season eight and nine once last year or a year or two ago. Whenever I was doing my fucking surgery recovery a year and a half ago, I ran through the entire series from start to go. And I had seen episodes of season eight, nine, but not sequentially, not in any way I really remembered. And a lot of them I was watching for the first time. And the biggest surprise to me was how much I liked Doggett and Mm -hmm. how good an episode could be without Mulder. Um, It's different and it's never going to be the same. And I'm not saying it's as good. But man, Doggett is a good character, and a and I I don't I don't want to say a lot about it because we don't there's no discussion to have about it. Um, and eventually, somewhere around 2027, we'll, we'll get to the point where we can actually <laughs> talk about these episodes. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. But he brought something to the show that was unique and different. I think Robert Patrick is a, is a really good actor, and I think they gave him a good character to play and. I think it really added to the show. I think if that had fallen flat, season eight and nine would be a write-off. But man, I'm going to tell you, man, when we get there, you're actually going to find that like, fuck, this is awesome. These are, I believe you. You're going to say, this is a new episode of the X-Files to me. Yeah. That's how you're going to feel like, cause it still feels like the X-Files, which is, that's the biggest compliment I could give it is that you can watch an episode with no Mulder and have it still feel like it's X-Files. Yep. Um, awesome. so yeah, I guess that's, that's all I can really say about it is, uh, Ray is on the, on the other hand, dog shit. Do not like her at all. So, but of course we don't like women. So, I, and I know you're, I, I, and I know that there is a, a bit of a time factor here, but I'll just say this really quickly. The only way I can relate to this at all is when a new Star Trek launches mm. I'm like this fucking guy. <laughs> Are you kidding? Dude, I fucking hated next gen. Hated it. And my dad watched it. My dad, like the 70s tough guy. I'm like, you're watching these fucking pussies, right? And then I grew to love it. And then DS9 came, I'm like, come on. I'm like, okay. And then Voyager came, I'm like, yeah, I still don't like it. (laughs) 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 No, I don't know. I haven't really given it a chance to be frank, but but that's the only way I can, is 
in other words, what I'm trying to say is over time, although it sounds like it happened quickly with, um, with, uh, Mike, but over time I was like, all right, I appreciate it. I come to appreciate it for sure. Yeah. And it's not a replacement. It's just an addition to. Yep. Yeah. I like it. Um, you want to, uh, lead us into our, um, <clears throat> our favorite Finnish sniper? Oh, well, here we go. She says, um, she says, number one, have you guys ever had any personal UFO sightings or strange experiences? Anything extraterrestrial or supernatural worthy of giving Mulder a call? You want to go first? Yeah, um, not a lot. I can think of two experiences in my life, which I would, I would say like, I can't really figure out exactly what happened there. Uh, I wish I could have a lot more. We've talked about this before in that, like, I don't really believe in a lot of things that the X-Files kind of puts out there. I just really enjoy watching them and thinking about them. Sure. Um, and everybody's in chat saying thank you to to Mikey Marinaro. Those were, were great questions. So Of course. Yes. Thanks to that. Um, and this is a fun one. So thanks to White Death. Sure. Uh, so I'll give you one. Uh, when I was, I think, nine or ten, um, was living in Westport. My mom had remarried for a couple years and I was, we were at the house and my dad had called me and my grandfather, my dad's dad had gone into the hospital. Uh, he had lung cancer and he was not doing great. And then my dad called me, uh, one day around f- five or six and said, brew, that's whatever he called my grandfather. Um, he's, he's in the hospital and he's really not doing well, and he might not be around for that much longer. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And I was like, I don't really know how to process this or whatever. Um, so I'm there, and I'm upset, and my mom and Bill, um, my stepdad, you know, had dinner, and then we're like, we're going to watch a movie. At the time, we had one dog, uh, my stepdad's dog, when they had gotten married, this, uh, one of the greatest dogs of all dogs, Atticus. Oh, yeah. Yellow Lab. <clears throat> And, um, he was in there and he and I, he was my little protector. So we're, we're sitting there, I'm petting him. I can't even remember what we were watching, but he was a great dog, super reliable, very, very steady, uh, super loyal. I'm petting him and all of a sudden his hackles go up and he starts growling mm-hmm. and we're like, that's weird. I mean, not like he'd never done that before, but usually it's like a, a, a critter outside or something like that, but he keeps sure. doing it. And then he starts whimpering and then he starts like whining and he runs up the stairs and he stops on the landing to, to the upstairs. And we're like, we kind of look at each other, kind of laugh, like what the hell is going on with Atticus? Like he seemed fine. We pause the movie. We walk up to the landing. He's, he's slinked into the corner. This is a 90 pound yellow lab. Who's not afraid of anything. He's lying there shaking, shaking uncontrollably. Hmm. And we're like, we all kind of gather around him. Like we're worried. Like what the fuck is going on? Didn't say that at the time. It was nine. Didn't drop the F-bomb as much. But we're petting him. We're like, Atticus, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's just like kind of shaking. And then he kind of calms down. But he's still like his whole body is kind of shaking and quivering. And he's sitting there. And like we're all holding him and petting him. And like could not figure out. And then like he kind of gets more and more normal. And then like we're out there for at least 30, 40 minutes. And then he kind of like seems okay. We walk downstairs. We go back in. And we start playing the movie again and uh about an hour later movie might have finished up it was eight or nine phone rings and my mom answers it sees she's upset she passed the phone to me and my dad tells me that brew died brew passed passed away about an hour ago Hmm. 
And fucking, I don't know, man. Like, that seems weird. It's pretty wild. But we had that dog for 13 years. He never, ever, ever did fucking anything like that. And so that was the only time I've ever been like, I don't know, man. Like, was he there in a way? Did he fucking make a little stop on his way out and checking on me and, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. You never know, right? Who knows? How about you? I don't know. How about you? No. Nothing? Nothing. Nothing interesting at all. (laughs) Fucking terrible, right? (laughs) I have weird things that have happened, but I wouldn't describe them as UFO. But strange experiences I can definitely talk a little bit about. Um, This was a really weird one. So, well, I got two... One one's a fake weird one. One's a real weird one, but no UFO stuff, no extraterrestrial. Yeah, definitely nothing on that for me. But p- potentially supernatural. I mean, I've been probed. Um, <laughs> so I was um, I was at my friend Ryan's house, and we were young, maybe ninth grade or something, and we were we had been playing D anD D like into the fucking bitter watches of the night. His father was asleep upstairs. His father was also sick with cancer, and. Um, he, his dad lived with just him and his son. His other son had married and, and moved on. And the mother was either dead or totally out of the picture. I don't recall the details of that. And there was a bunch of us there, um, people I still talk to today, actually. And we all kind of just went out. So a couple things. We, <laughs> we go outside. And this is just strange. This isn't supernatural. This is just strange. I'm going to lay into the strange here. And... There was a, um, there's like this driveway that leads out from the, from the garage. And we walked to the edge of the driveway. It's two o'clock in the morning, dead silent in this like suburban town in Florida and hot. And we're just all sitting there and bullshitting, talking. A couple of guys started smoking, whatever. And uh, we're just kind of bullshitting. And then I heard, not just me, a blood curdling scream. Dude, it was the most scary thing I have ever heard in my life. A blood chortling scream from a woman dude it it affected me so much when i heard it that i literally dropped like into a very low crouch position and like moved behind the car and like put my hands on the car like what the fuck was that and dude everyone did that everyone reacted to it my friend ryan just started running like in the direction that he thinks he he heard it and i'm like what what are you doing and like we yell for him to come back and uh, we never saw him again. No, I'm kidding. And um, <laughs> and he stopped. Like he gave pause, and he had that like wicked adrenaline. We all did, dude. It sounded like something just like this crazy noise. And it was a person. It wasn't a fucking cat. It wasn't a fucking dog. And we were like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "All right, let's go back inside. Let's go back inside, guys. Back inside. Back inside. Back inside." Because we didn't know what the fuck was going on. And then we were like, oh, should we call the cops? What should we do? And then we started leering. We didn't call anybody because we didn't do that in the 90s. And then we're like looking around and we're listening, listening for it. We couldn't quite figure out where it came from. We all go back inside collectively as a group. And we were like, we, we at one point said, do you think we're going to hear about this in the paper tomorrow? Like, do you think this will be a story in the newspaper? Like, do you think somebody got killed just now? Like we, and did, for the record, nice neighborhood, Okay. Nice neighborhood, nice house. Everyone had nice houses back in the day, you know? White privilege, good stuff. Beautiful. And um, I was like, holy shit. And I was not high at all. I was, they were smoking cigarettes, Andrea, for the record. Um, <laughs> that's the way, what, no, and right totally valid Andrea question. In the, in the chat, my death herself, how fucking finished is this? Reminds me of hearing a lynx that was about to attack a deer. 
says yeah. no American ever. But, <laughs> but go for on. us, it's coyotes, the coyotes. But um, and not only did nothing ever come of it, nobody, we never really talked about it ever again. It was the dude. It was so creepy sounding, and nothing. We didn't. We were up all night, four o'clock morning, five o'clock in the morning. We were looking out windows. We're expecting to see blue lights. Never saw blue lights. Never saw anything like that ever um, again. And never heard it. And nobody ever talked about it. And there was never a story. And there was never, we didn't hear about any fucking murders. But it was so gutturally loud and terrifying that it ripped us. And like, I went right into, I'm, I'm taking cover instinctively behind this vehicle. <laughs> it's a- like it freaked me the fuck out, dude. It was super, super scary. Damn, dude. Some reptile yeah. brain shit. Fucking reptile. And I was like, what the fuck? Somebody just got killed or or is about to or walked in on somebody dead, you know? It was terrifying. Good shit. Um, and then I had, a, I had a fake one. I was in my grandparents' basement when I was like eight or nine years old. And I had been watching something, something scary, Nightmare on Elm Street or some shit. And, oh, I had a, I've had a lot of terrifying dreams, I can tell you that much. And uh, I was walking downstairs and there's a sliding glass door and this fucking thing floats by the door outside on the patio at night. And I go, what the fuck? And I like, I froze. And then I was like, oh, that's my fucking reflection. Dude, scared the fucking shit out of me. My own, it was like a weird, like opaque reflection from the slider. (laughs) The way the light was hitting me in the the way, and I had a hoodie on and the way I was moving across it, I corner my eye fucking froze and I'm like, it froze too. What the fuck? And then I was like, oh, it's me, idiot. (laughs) (laughs) It was stupid shit like that. But um, yeah, just little goofy things like that, you know. The only other one that I ever had that really stuck with me that I was like, that was fucking bizarre I went into the brewery. <clears throat> so uh, Dean and I have both actually worked at a local brewery. Um, yeah. has a giant brew house and warehouse. And um, <clears throat> I was in there late at night, had keys. And I was going into the back to get something. And when the back, turn on some lights, just like one or two, grab something. And I was walking back up, shut off the lights. And I heard this like whistling, like musical whistling. Mm-hmm. And like fucking froze. Was it Omar? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Froze. I like, and then I'm like, okay, settle down. It's music. Like they left, we had this cart with like a stereo (sighs) on it. They left the fucking cart on. Son of a bitch. Walk to the back. Cart's unplugged. Nice. And I'm like, huh. Walk back, going back out of the building, back towards the other end of the warehouse. The whistling comes back. And dude, it was not like, didn't barely hear it. I could hear it clearly to the point where I'm like, I didn't think it was a ghost. I'm like, someone is in this fucking building right now. Right. And is fucking with me. Right, right, right. One of the workers or something. That's scary though, man. But this is like, dude, this is like nine, ten o'clock at night. Right. I grab a wrench <laughs> and I go fucking back there again and the whistling stops. And I'm looking around, dude, all the doors are locked. There's nobody fucking there. Like there's, this is, you know where it is. It's out in the middle of the fucking nowhere down like a quarter of a mile dirt driveway. I, I start walking back out again. Now I'm walking fast. Yeah. Looking over my shoulder, shut off the lights, whistling comes back and I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. I fucking walk outside, lock the other door. There are no other cars around. There's nothing else around. I drive the fuck away. Never happened again. But <laughs> it's a good move. Oh boy. Did you see Jesse Bevs? Uh, yeah. Wow. She's in the chat right now. That's fucking terrifying. Number one, 
She said, Dean, your story of a woman screaming is giving me a bad flashback to my experience. Turn my life upside down. And she says, I have this weird, I have freaking heard this woman, Dean, except it happened at night at my work, the mortuary. <laughs> uh, it fucking was. Boss checked the camera. Absolutely nothing. Dude. Okay. Couple things. If you, <laughs> Couple okay. Things. Number one, you need Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Exercise the demon because you're in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But uh, that is pretty creepy. That's fucking terrifying, man. Jesse Bev, who sent me one of, my, one of the best bottles of whiskey I've ever had. Yeah. Us sent us. <laughs> Carmelita, I used to be the Clyde Buckman, Buck, Bruckman of lost virginity. My dreams accurately predicted friends losing their virginity. That is <laughs> a fucking gem and a half if I've ever read one. <laughs> oh. All right, let's get to yeah. White Death's last one. That was a great fucking question. That was fun. Yeah, totally a good question. Uh, I, a little... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you're good. So we got... How about some CSM talk? What do you think about the character's overall arc? Did old Smokey cook up this pandemic too? And does he deserve a place <laughs> among the all-time bad guys of film and TV? Um, he was run? down there in Wuhan. He was just enjoying some bat soup. Fuck yeah, and, I uh, could see ooh, him. Dropped a little vial by accident. Oh, right on the bricks. Yeah, this is this is very season 10, 11. Fuck yeah, the right? Virus. <laughs> um, I would just say yes. He does yeah. deserve that place. I mean- well acted. We've talked about the brilliance of of Chris Carter to know that like this it wasn't planned from the beginning. He just sure. kind of kind of left it open, used this kind of dark, mysterious guy, and then wrote more and more as it went along. Um we don't want to spoil things because we do have listeners that are following along the show. Um you get a you end up getting a lot more history out of CSM, especially um musings of a cigarette smoking man, I think is the name ah. of, the, of the episode. Um, a great one that we are some seasons away from and his art goes through a lot of ways, but um, I think he's a fucking outstanding villain Me too, because he's memorable. He's well acted and there's depth to him. And there are at times uh, a really important for me is a, a villain with a believable motivation. Correct. And he has it. And I agree. At, at times it's convoluted. At times you can even sympathize with him. Um, so fucking straight up. Absolutely. What do you think? Um, I can't speak to the arc, but here's what I can speak to as to why I think he's outstanding. Um, and he does deserve a place in the top bad guy list is because in a modern setting, we're going to see something that a lot of shows can't do. We have a character that literally works for the same organization you do. And he is a villain. Like that's really hard to accomplish. It's really hard to accomplish making this guy a bad guy, yet he gets his paycheck from the same people you do, and it's not outward, and it's not like outright warfare between the two of you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's really hard to do. It's really hard to have a villain that you can't directly attack that isn't supernatural. It's really hard to have a villain that resides at times under the same roof as you do, and he scares the shit out of you, despite the fact that you know that you have some protections under the law. And uh, that's really hard. It's really hard to write a character like that. It's really hard to write a character that says, I am dangerous, not just to your career, but to your lives and anyone around you's lives. And we're going to sit in a room together and we're going to be in the same meeting. Like that's a really hard character to accomplish when it comes to writing. Yep. That's why I think he's such a good character. Now, you could take a show, again, there are shows that, that you know, can do this, um, like, but not in quite a modern setting with modern law. Like Game of Thrones is a good example of, fuck man, I'm eating dinner with a guy across from me and we're going to attack him tomorrow. 
Like that's fucking cool. That's what makes that show cool. And that's what makes the CSM so cool. Yeah. Or a CSM is the ability for him to be present. You know, in any other show, you're like, that guy's a villain, attack him on site. You can't. It's removed from the... It's removed from the equation, yeah. which adds an element of tension that I really like. You know, Tarantino is the master of, of dialogue, of, of tension through dialogue. He gets two characters talking and you start to shit your pants, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole CSM is that. It's impressive. And he says very little. You know, it's not about CSM's dialogue. It's about his menacing presence. It's about his horrific countenance, as they say. <laughs> the way he just chills in the corner. Those goddamn like, cigarettes. Fuck, you know? And that's another thing. You know, we never get... That's one thing TV doesn't give us. You know, we get these great visuals and sound, but we don't smell or taste anything. Probably yeah. for the better. But it would be really neat if that was a thing in the future. Like, you, you catch just... You catch a whiff of the cigarette as, as Mulder enters the room. You're like, those, oh, fuck. Those Morley's. He's there. I mean, they, they do that well. Just seeing those cigarette, like, stubbed out is an indication sure. that it's... Yeah, of his passing, yeah. right? Yeah. It's good, awesome, dude. Good shit. So, we had a bonus question, too, but... Um, Full disclosure, I'm a little tight on time. So what I'd like to do is actually let's push that push it to, to the our, next up. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe we can even make this a thing where um, you know, if once a, a month or something, give people time. Yeah, if if a question, a, a neat topic, something like that comes up, um, we'll just we'll hit it at totally. the beginning of a of an episode. So we got one from uh, Mrs. Quota that will uh, that will hit at the beginning of our of our next app as we get back into season three. Yeah, let this be an invitation for questions at any point. You know, if, if it's a Sir Thom length question, it might be a bit different. That might be an end of the episode of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, feel free to shoot over some questions, and if we can get them in, we can get them in. If we can, we can, and if we get them in over time, we get them over time. You know. So, all right. Well, dude, Fuck. that was fun. That was a blast, man. That was super, super fun. We got to do this. We got to do this kind of thing again sometime. I agree. And um, I guess, uh, I guess we're getting to that point where we have to uh, tell, uh, you know, you know, you know how it goes. We got to tell the good people goodbye, Josh. Bit of a do, bit of a do. Hey, no, uh, no quipper line or anything like that. Just a big thanks, a big hearty thanks from us to you for being involved for the great questions, especially to Mr. Marinara and White Death and uh, for sticking with us. Absolutely. You guys have a good one, and we'll catch you on the flip side. And Jesse Bev, seriously, call the Ghostbusters or some shit. I don't know. Fine fucking Jesus. Get the hell out of that job. You've been listening to the X-Files podcast by LSG Media. Visit us on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net. 